Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, the day of Pentecost changed everything. This group, a little over a hundred people who were timid, uncouth, uneducated men and women, were huddled and hiding in this upper room, and then all of a sudden the day of Pentecost comes and they explode out of that place. They explode out of the upper room, and the word that Scripture uses to paint the picture of what happened and how it happened was suddenly. Did you hear that in the passage this morning? Actually, it came before the passage that we read. And suddenly, suddenly, surprisingly, in an instant, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them in a moment, in a moment, in a moment, suddenly, in a instant. One moment there were timid, uncouth, uneducated disciples hiding in an upper room, and the next moment these fumbling disciples were changed. It wasn't something that you could hide or that you could ignore. It exploded out of that room. They caused a scene. They caused a ruckus. They were changed. They were experiencing something, and it exploded out of that room, and it was so noticeable that it says all the people here early in this morning, in this Jerusalem morning, people were probably tired. All of a sudden, they could not help but to notice and to see that something had happened in this hidden room to these disciples. Something had happened to these fumbling saints. Something had happened that changed them. And everyone who was a part of that moment and everyone who was around knew that something had fundamentally changed in their lives. And looking back in history, we can see that a match was struck in that place, in that, in that room, in that city, on that day that would light a worldwide fire. 
This is how amazing it was that all the people who were around them observing what had happened as it spilled out of the upper room on the day of Pentecost, it says, all were amazed and perplexed. They were amazed. Look at what has happened and perplexed. How can this be? Saying to one another, who, what does this mean? That's what Christianity does. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit does in the lives and through the lives of believers. It causes the people around them to wonder, what does this mean? It gets their attention and it causes them to wonder, what in the world is going on? And this is how Peter explained what was happening. Peter, the, by the way, the denier of Jesus, stood up three-time denier of Jesus, the fumbling believer who couldn't seem to get out of his own way throughout his walking with Christ on earth. This is how he gets up and he explains this is what is going on. He says, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people aren't drunk, as you suppose. Since it's only, see the effect, kind of effect that it had on the believers? Since it is only the third hour of the day. But this, but this is what was uttered to the prophet Joel. Peter said, this is, what you are seeing now, what we are experiencing is the great promise of God that he made throughout the old covenant. This is what he says Joel was talking about when he said, it shall, be, it shall come about in those last days, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. See, Joel had promised that something revolutionary was coming. God was going to change the entire playing field. Throughout history, God's chosen people from Abraham on and before, all the way back to the garden, actually, people had zigzagged back and forth between running to God and away from God. Running to God when we're in great need and away from God whenever we get comfortable and we decide, let's just go our own way. We, built within us is a propensity, a, a sin, if you will, the sin nature that causes us and presses us to run away and push away as far as we can, as fast as we can from God. And the people saw it. His people saw it. They, their lives were, their generations, as they looked back, the, they had the, this old, old Testament being written, and they see back, and they see, man, this is, our, this is our habit, back and forth, back and forth, to God, away from God, to God, away from God, and yet God is saying, I am holy, and I am perfect, and in order to come to me, you must be perfect. And I left wondering, how can we change? Maybe you wonder the same thing. How can I actually change. And Joel, like the other prophets, looked ahead and saw the only answer that God was going to send. And he said, this is the answer. God was going to send his spirit, his own spirit, to fill and to remake people from the inside out. He said it'll be like this, it'll be like an outpouring, or that word is a, is a downpour, a, a gushing. It'll be like a gushing, an outpouring of his own presence and his power. He was going to make a way to bring back, you see, man back into union with God himself. That's the way we were created for. We were created to have fellowship, to know and to be known by God like Adam had in the garden in the cool of the day as, they, as he and Eve would actually walk with God. 
Like the other prophets, Joel described that, that what was going to happen when God poured out, gushed out, outpoured his spirit upon all flesh is that he was going to make a new people with a new heart, a new soul, and a new mind. That's what he was going to do. And these new people, these newly remade people are going to love God from their, own, from their heart. They'll love and obey God from their heart. And he says, these people will know God directly. And it will be evidenced by the fact that they will all, everyone, all flesh, men and women, rich and poor, all people will minister in his supernatural power. And he said that would be for all people and it would be such a stark difference that in that when that happened when he gushes out and pours out his spirit it would mark the last days you see Joel said he looked ahead and he said in those days and now Peter stands up and says this is that Joel looked ahead and said in those days and Peter said this is that and here's what I have to tell you this morning we live in those days that Joel was looking ahead at. We live in what Peter said, this is that. So, why does the church sit floundering in our country is the question. I just read statistics this morning. A number of megachurches are down almost 50% from two years ago, three years ago. Evangelical churches are, are down 25%. They have, people have not come back. And other churches are down around 60% to, to 60% of their pre-pandemic numbers. Why does the church sit floundering in our country? Why is your spiritual life so dull? If, if you live, if we live today in what Joel said this in those days and Peter said this is that, why is your spiritual life so dull? Why does your life bear so little resemblance to Jesus? Why is there so little transformation in your life? Why is there so little power? Either Joel was lying when he said about what the promise was to be, or Peter was mistaken that it had begun. Either it's all false, or we are like those in the crowd that Peter addressed whenever they gathered around. What should we see when the Spirit is poured out? If we live in the day that the Spirit is being, is, has been and is being poured out, what should we see? Well, we can look here on the day of Pentecost and see an example. We see a lot of things happen. They all deserve attention. They all sort of are attention grabbers. There's, it says they were gathered in the room and a, a mighty a sound as a mighty wind came through. It says there were fire that appeared overhead. They spoke in unknown languages. Crowds were gathered around. Baptisms were going to celebrate today. All of a sudden, 3,000 people that day came to Christ professed faith in him and were baptized. And then we see the effects that happened. The people, those believers, began to share their lives and their property with each other. It says so much so that it says they did not even claim what belonged to them belonged to them anymore. We see transformation. And it's all amazing, but one thing, one thing stands above everything else. 
But the wind, the fire, the unknown languages and the crowds and the baptisms and the sharing of lives and property, all which are amazing and deserve attention, there's one thing that stands above everything else. It's the biggest thing that leads to all those other things, you see. Don't miss it. Here's what Peter said. When they said, hey, what is it? it says they were looking around, they're perplexed and amazed and said, what's going on here? Peter stands up and says, this is that which the prophet Joel said was coming. And he says this, men of Israel, hear these words. Here is why this is happening today. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But, verse 24, God raised him up up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And at the end of his sermon, he says this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift, that promised gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this pouring out, this outpouring of the Spirit is all because of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And crazily enough, people responded. Now that is crazy. Because these were some of the same people who had been in the city who were crying out for Jesus to be crucified. These are some of the same people who had seen Jesus do miracles, heard him teach, and yet were so turned off by him at the end that they cried out for that they would give him Barabbas to be freed instead of Jesus. And then all of a sudden... These people, these Jews who were devout enough that they came to Jerusalem to celebrate the Holy Feast, who, so that, who, who would no, in no way have considered calling a man God. These Jews, all of a sudden, as Peter stands up on this day, in this moment, all of a sudden it says they are cut to the heart. What happened? They had no new information than they had before. They had heard the rumors about Jesus. They had seen him. They had heard him teach. What changed? What happened? The promised Spirit of God came and revealed Jesus to them. He spoke. He breathed the life of Jesus into their soul. Where information could not move them, where an argument could not change them, all of a sudden the Spirit remade them. He made Jesus real to them. He brought a conviction in their soul that the gospel was true, that this good news about Jesus was true, and that it was deeply and incredibly urgent. He communicated that to their soul. He gave them the conviction that that was true. That's what the Spirit of God does because Christianity is both a message and a reality, you see. Christianity is a message. It's a message of who Jesus was and is and what he has done and is doing and will do for you and in you and through you. But it's not just a message. Christianity is also a reality. 
And that's what the Spirit of God does. The work of the Spirit makes the work of Jesus real or the person of Jesus real to you. See, I think a great problem that we have is that we're fairly clearly, as American evangelical Christians, on the message. Most of us can tell you and fill in the blanks, this is who Jesus was and this is what he did. I'm a sinner. He was God. We need a Savior. Bridge diagram. He, it's all beautiful. It's the beautiful, wonderful, glorious, always amazing message of Jesus. But I think the problem is that we have the message. We're sort of weak on experiencing and sharing the reality of that message. After all, what is, what is Christianity? It's not a religion. It's not a subject matter to study. Though there's a lot to study. It's not simply a subject matter to study or religion to participate in or a worship service to attend. Christianity is all about a person. It is to know God and be known by God. It's all about Jesus. Christianity is how God, the God of creation, the almighty creator God, is how he makes himself, he makes himself known to us. We don't make ourselves known to him. He makes, ourself, makes himself known to us. It's how he makes himself known to us, to us sinners, us human, us broken people, to the desperate. Christianity is to know him and his great love for us, but not just to know about it in sort of a study that you do somewhere, but to know about it like you taste sugar or you taste honey, to taste it and experience it, to know it, to in your heart, to know this is real and true, to have his spirit in your soul cry out, Abba, Father, all of a sudden to the God who you were separated with from. And this is what happens when we know the reality, what the power of the Holy Spirit, we see it in these believers. We see transformation occurs. These timid, uneducated, unorthodox, uncouth men and women who didn't stick around Jesus when the, when the chips were down and now when they know he's resurrected aren't too excited to be known by his name. Yet all of a sudden, all of a sudden something happens and they are transformed from the inside out, from their core out, and they find not only a transformation existed, not just incremental change, but a transformation at the core of who they were, and they also find a new power at present working in their, in their lives, in their own hearts, in their own lives, and a new power working through them. All of a sudden, when Peter stands up, that faltering, fumbling Peter who would get stuff right and then mess up, not only, hey, he's going to continue to get stuff right and wrong. We see later on in the New Testament. But this Peter, this fumbling believer, he stands up all of a sudden with confidence and power and authority and preaches a message off the top of his head and 3,000 souls come to the Lord that day. They experience a manifestation of the presence of God himself in them and among them. All of a sudden, there was no question whether Jesus was real or God was real. They knew because he was in their midst. The book of Acts describes when they, they would gather together, it says that there would be great awe among them. Why? Because God was here. They, all of a sudden, these fumbling Embarrassed believers have a boldness in their witness. You can hurt me. You can ostracize me. You can kill me. 
do whatever you like, but we can only obey God. And not only do they witness, they see an effectiveness in their witness that day, 3,000 people, and it says they continue day by day were added to those who were being saved. When, again, there was no new information, but there was new power. You see, the story of the outpouring of, God, of the Spirit of God is the story of God moving. He moves towards us. He brings us in. He restores us. And look at what the crowds heard as the disciples spoke in other tongues. It says they heard the, these people who had had the Spirit being poured out upon them. It says they heard the telling of the mighty works of God. Again, these works weren't new to them. They were Jews. They had been in Jerusalem to observe the holy days. They knew the works of God through the centuries. They'd seen Jesus enter the city. They had heard his teaching. They had seen his miracles. They had seen him die. They had heard of his missing body in the empty tomb. They had heard rumors of the resurrection. Their problem wasn't information. It was belief and trust. They had heard the stories, but the stories hadn't moved them. They had heard the news, but it had no power over them. And all of a sudden they hear, and, they, and these things that they hear about Jesus all of a sudden seem to be the mighty works of God. What changed? God came down. His spirit was acting, not just upon the disciples who had been in that upper room, causing them to speak in other tongues or languages, but his spirit was acting upon the crowds and the, the minds and the hearts of the crowds that gathered around. He was demonstrating, communicating, convincing them of the reality of God and Jesus Christ reconciling them to the Father. See, Jesus had done a great work of redemption in his death and his resurrection, but now the redemption was being applied to the hearts of people. That's what the Spirit does. Jesus accomplished redemption 2,000 years ago today, but today we live in the day of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where he applies redemption to the heart of people through the outpouring of his, soul, his Spirit. You see, Christianity isn't something that happens outside of you. Christianity is something that happens to you. It happens within you. Rather, it's a move of God as he comes and he acts upon you. And so if your experience of Christianity revolves mostly around what you think and what you do and what you believe, if you think Christianity is what you do for God, then you've missed the pulsing heartbeat of Christianity. If you think Christianity is mostly revolves around what you do and you think and you believe, if, it, if, it's a, if you think Christianity is about what you do for God, then you've missed the pulsing heartbeat of the faith because the heartbeat of the faith is what God has done, what God has done and is doing in Jesus Christ. Real scriptural Christianity is celebrating the mighty works of God and expecting him to do more. Do Christians do things? Absolutely. We see the book of Acts is amazing stories about the progress of the early Christians, but, and this is so clear if you read it, it's not the story of their work, it's the story of Jesus' work through them. 
Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not by human effort or strategy or innovation or achievement. The book of, the, book of Acts is the story of all that Jesus, it says, it opens up, he tells us what it's about. All that Jesus continued to do and teach through those believers. The outpouring of God's spirit is God the Father working in the spirit through the Son, into our hearts and souls. So what are we to think when we look around and we don't see this kind of movement in our day, in our place? What are we supposed to think? What are we supposed to think when we look around and we don't see this kind of movement in our church, in our lives? What should we think? Well, see, get desperate. You see, the apostles and the early Christians seemed to believe that the Spirit was supposed to continue working through the believers. Was the day of Pentecost a, a once-for-all event? Or is it to be repeated? Well, we know it must be repeated because we see it in Acts. We see the same believers who were at this Acts 2 event, the, the, the first, the, it is the first, the outpouring of God's Spirit on the day of Pentecost, yet not long later, they all gather together again and they pray, God, pour out your, in Acts chapter 4, read it for yourself, God, pour out your Spirit to us again, we need it. And he does it. We see it in Acts, and we hear, have the commands throughout the New Testament. Paul says in, Acts, in, in Ephesians 5, 18, don't, do not get drunk with wine, but for that is debauchery, but be filled, or the wording there is be being continually filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's not enough once for all. It's not enough that those 120 or so believers in that upper room received the outpouring of the Spirit way back on that day. And it's not enough that you profess faith in Christ and experience regeneration one day. You are to be being filled continually with the Holy Spirit. What parts should be, are, are to be repeated? Well, we might not get the wind and fire. We may. But we must be filled. We must be baptized continually, repeatedly in the Spirit. And that's what happens when we see a revival or awakening or renewal. It's when God repeats the day of Pentecost upon his church again. The day of Pentecost is once, for, is once in terms of that it was the first, but it is not the last. An awakening or renewal or revival is what happens when God comes down and he pours out his spirit afresh upon his people. Why does it matter? Why does it matter if we experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit or not? Did you notice what Paul said? He says, don't be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would he draw that parallel, that connection between the two? Because when you're drunk with wine or when you're drunk, you're under control of another substance. And he says, instead of living like that, we should be under the control or the possession of the Holy Spirit of God. We should be taken up by something or someone greater. The, for the, when the Spirit of God is poured out upon us, it brings a recentering and it brings a taste of a different reality. 
So how are we to live in this age of outpouring, if this is the age that we live in? There are some of you who, if you are honest, you have almost no thoughts about God at all. So much so that in, for practical intents and purposes, in, in your everyday life, you live life like a practical atheist. Or it might be better to say that you live like an agnostic in your thinking and your acting. You don't live and think as unto God. He is removed from your moment-by-moment existence. And this is important. What I'm not saying is that you never talk or think about church or the Bible or things related to Christianity. You can have a fair amount of what I would call Christian-adjacent activity. You may spend a good deal of time doing Bible studies and listening to podcasts. But hear this. This is important. While there's definitely no such thing as Christianity apart from the Bible, there is such a thing as Bible apart from true Christianity. You can memorize, study, be around, and yet be a Pharisee in your soul. And this shouldn't be so. In fact, it's such, it so much shouldn't be so that the, I think the correct term that we should use is it's an abomination for professing believers to live that, like that. You participate in activities, but your thoughts aren't to God and about God. Your thoughts are more like this. Let's take, for example, this morning. Your thoughts are more about this. Do I like this? How do I feel about this? What do I think about this? Instead of your thoughts being, Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, are you speaking? Let me hear you. If you ever post something online or you say amen, some places they say amen in a sermon, it's because it's something that you agree with. Something that already affirms something that you already believe and how you think and feel about things instead of being moved to worship and adoration of such a great God and Savior. See, that's true spirit-filled Christianity. Being freed from your sin and your old self so that you can be caught up with the glory and the beauty of God in Christ. And that's what the Spirit does in us. He makes Jesus real to us, but he only makes the real Jesus real to us. Not whatever construction we make of him. Not the Jesus that we hold at arm's length. That's why a person can be at, at a church where there is little to no discernible presence of God, of the living God, and yet be perfectly happy. Or someone can be in a church where there is a presence of God and be totally unhappy. Because those first questions we talked about, do I like this? How do I feel about this? What do I think about this? They all receive affirmation there. Oh, this service is light and lively. It's fun and engaging. This church has so much activity. The teaching is so easy to apply to my life. But no one asked the question, Lord, what do you think about this? Lord, are you speaking? And if you are, let me hear you. 
See, a person in that state will think a dead church is alive and a live church is dead. But to be regenerated by God's Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God is to be caught up with God, to have your gaze fixed on Him, to be enamored with Him, to turn all of your life into a response of worship to such an amazing, loving Savior and Lord. And if that isn't where you are today, then the question is, where are you? Have you been regenerated? Maybe you've carried the name Christian, but have you been remade and reborn by the Spirit of God? Our sin and unbelief may be crowding out and choking out your spiritual life. Maybe you are, you say, man, I know I'm a Christian. But are you grieving the Spirit of God? Is your lifestyle, your mindset, your pride, your spiritual arrogance, your theological arrogance, your good life that you live, is it grieving the Holy Spirit of God? Are you a Christian who isn't being filled regularly, continually by the Spirit of God? If you're not regenerate, then today you are the walking dead. And if you're a lifeless Christian, then today you're a walking abomination. I don't say that lightly. Those aren't throwaway lines. It's very serious to grieve the Spirit of God. It should break our hearts if we're believers. But what do you do if you're in such a state? Then I want to just echo the call of Peter at the end of his sermon on Pentecost. Repent and believe. Repent of your sin and your independence. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your only salvation. You don't have to understand it all. You don't even have to be sure that you agree with it all. You just have to submit to Jesus and to put your full trust and faith in him alone. Now, do you believe, if you're one, a person if you're, and you say, I, I believe in him, do you place all your trust unreservedly on him and on him alone? Don't hesitate. Peter said, on that day, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of Pentecost for you. Today, this is the age of the Spirit's outpouring. The promise is for you, but as we're going to see next week, the day of the Lord is coming. It is fast approaching. And I would be remiss in my duty if I didn't also... Echo Peter's call to you to flee from the wrath that is to come. If you are a Christian, or if you're not, how shall you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? So great 
of salvation. How shall you escape if you so misrepresent such a great salvation? Flee to Jesus today. You know what those believers in that crowd in that day in Jerusalem found? Some of them probably lived the rest of their life knowing that they were in the crowd calling for Jesus' crucifixion, and yet they found absolution, forgiveness, and a clean conscience through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit working the work of redemption that Jesus, who they were calling for his death, working the redemption that he bought for them into their hearts and souls. Jesus doesn't hold you by arm's length away from himself. He says, look at all that I have done and am doing for you. Won't you come? Don't wait for any, uh, any, any moment. Don't wait to try to turn your life around. Don't try to get better. Don't wait, but come. Are you a non-believer? Come today. As I don't want my friends to know that I've been a non-believer this whole time. I don't, I'm not sure I want to accept it myself. Why would you wait? Run and flee to him. He will bring you in. That is the most important thing in your life. Repent and believe, receive his promised Holy Spirit. He has promised it to you. He will no way cast you out. He will bring you in. And he will pour his spirit upon you. And you know what happens when he does that with you and you and you and you? And all of a sudden, that's what we begin to call a revival or awakening when multiple people come to the Lord fresh with repentance and hearts that are being filled, Jesus Christ being made real in them, and they respond like the believers in Acts do. And all of a sudden, we see the church beautified and glorified, looking like Jesus. And all of a sudden, you see added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Lord Jesus, do it here. Father, that's our prayer this morning. Lord Jesus, do it here. Joel looked ahead and said, in those days this will happen. Peter stood up and said, this is that which, and we live today in this is that which. Lord, forgive us, I pray, for our unbelief. Forgive us for our disbelief. Forgive us for our sin. God, lead us and grant us repentance. And Lord, would you pour out your spirit upon us? Bring us to a place of repentance and faith in you to believe that you are who you say that you are and you will do what you say you will do in us and through us for the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that any person here who is here this morning they would flee to Jesus this morning. They would experience regeneration, new birth by the Spirit of God. And for those of us who are living lives that grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that today, this moment, there would be repentance and faith in you. God, make us your church that glorifies the name of your Son, we pray.